diet. It's a word that has all kinds of connotations. There are the positive ones like understanding how to maximize health by selecting nutritious foods. There are negative ones like restricting intake to meet a hard to reach weight loss goal. Then of course, there are the supportive ones like arming patients with a plan to help them make better decisions and the frustrating ones like watching patients try their hardest with limited results. This variety of connotations really isn't all that surprising though, right? Because there doesn't seem to be just one set of dietary recommendations that works for everyone. Human physiology seems to require a little more customization when it comes to nutrition. And perhaps that's why there's so much interest these days in the concept of precision nutrition. That's the ability to deliver dietary advice and strategies customized to an individual rather than relying on that traditional one-size-fits-all approach to a healthy diet. And thanks to innovations like artificial intelligence, which makes it easier to find dietary success patterns and variations within and across populations, along with advancements in mobile applications, which make dietary progress easier to track and analyze. Some experts have come to consider precision nutrition to be an interesting option to help deliver the right dietary interventions to the right populations. But not only that, the cost and time needed for genetic testing has decreased significantly in the last two decades, which has made nutrigenetics much more accessible. I'm Mara Bowen, podcasting for Abbott Nutrition Health Institute, and I'm here today with Dr. Katie Robinson, a medical science liaison at Abbott. Dr. Robinson was a member of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics Evidence Analysis Library Nutritional Genomics Systemic Review Work Group. And Dr. Robinson has joined our podcast today to discuss the results of this systemic review, which was published on the 3rd of July in the Journal of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. Now, if you'd like to see a manuscript, and of course you do, we've linked to it in the transcript for this recording. First, one thing to note before we begin, this recording may sound a little bit softer than you're used to hearing, and that's because Dr. Robinson and I are still social distancing from our home offices rather than sitting in our recording studio. So after all that, Dr. Robinson, welcome. Hi, Mara. Thank you for having me. Now, can you start us off by telling us a little bit about your research background and how you became involved in the Academy's work group? Sure. So during my undergraduate training in dietetics, I was involved in research in one-carbon metabolism, and this gave me an interest in studying the role of genetics and how epigenetic variations might impact outcomes of our nutritional interventions. I then joined the lab of Dr. Margarita Turan-Garcia at the University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana for my graduate training. And there I was involved with multiple large trials, which evaluated associations between dietary factors and individual genetic variants. These are also known as single nucleotide polymorphisms, or SNPs for short. So during our research, we noticed large variability in outcomes, and this might have been weight loss or biomarkers. And this really drove my interest in understanding why there was such variation, even when interventions were the same. So I was very grateful when the Academy's Council on Research selected me to serve on the work group to review this literature in more detail. So what was the aim of the Academy's Nutrition Genomics Evidence Analysis Center Systemic Review? Dietitians have been practicing personalized nutrition for years. We use factors such as life cycle, comorbidities, body mass index, and age to tailor our interventions. And as you mentioned earlier, more recent technologies are increasingly available which inform individuals on genetic variants they may carry, which might alter the way they digest, absorb, and metabolize certain nutrients. So our aim and what we wanted to understand is whether utilizing these genetic results to tailor our nutrition counseling offers an added benefit beyond those traditional practices of personalizing nutrition already being practiced by dietitians. So how did the work group define nutritional genomics for this study? We focused on nutrigenetics, 
So meaning how individual genetic variants or SNPs impact that inter-individual variability in response to diet. Alternatively, we also appreciate that diet can impact the expression of our genes, and this is a concept known as nutrigenomics. However, that was not reviewed in our analysis. And can you review the methodology for this systemic review? For instance, what types of studies were included and excluded? Yeah, so the methodology was a strength of our study. We used methods from the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetic Evidence Analysis Center, and in accordance with PRISMA, we searched multiple databases for human studies, and we included any age group and any setting. These were studies which incorporated genetic testing results into nutrition counseling and care. We required that there was a comparison group. So this could have been a comparison group that just received nutritional counseling and care without genetics, or a comparison group that just received genetic testing without any nutritional guidance along with it. Uh, We also required that the dietary intake outcomes were measured using a validated method. And we did not include inborn errors of metabolism. So these are those monogenic disorders, which typically can be attributed to a single gene. These weren't included because we wanted to aim more to understand polygenic diseases. So polygenic diseases are those that have usually multiple genes or genetic variants, which contribute to a given phenotype. And what did your results show? We had two parts for a systematic review. The first part reviewed whether disclosure of genetic information impacted dietary intake. And we were able to find eight randomized controlled trials that addressed this question. Overall, we didn't find strong evidence that disclosure of genetic information altered dietary intake. However, there were a handful of studies which showed that high-risk carriers, and so the participants that carried the genetic alleles which were associated with a higher risk, that these individuals may be more likely to report low dietary intake of things like alcohol and sodium after nutritional intervention. The second part reviewed whether disclosure of genetic information impacted outcomes such as body mass index, body composition, and laboratory values such as cholesterol, insulin resistance, and glucose. And for this part, we found 11 articles representing nine unique RCTs, which meant inclusion. And really, for this part, the heterogeneity of these studies really precluded our team from drawing any strong conclusions about the effectiveness of incorporating this genetic information into nutrition counseling care. And did anything surprise you about your findings? Yeah, so overall, we found only a handful of randomized controlled trials were available, and often the grade of evidence for our outcomes were limited or weak to fair. And I should mention that we used the grade and academy grading systems to assess the evidence quality for each outcome. There was also a lot of variability in the randomized controlled trials in which genes were used to tailor the dietary interventions how these interventions were conducted, so the number of interactions with the participants, and the health messages that accompanied a given genetic variant. Also, to me, it would seem intuitive that the high-risk allele carrier would maybe be more motivated to change behavior following learning their genetic information, just because their perceived susceptibility might be higher. However, many of the available studies that we looked at did not stratify their results to evaluate this factor. So to summarize, what learnings from this review can clinicians apply to their practice? Overall, we did not find strong evidence that disclosure of genetic information made nutrition interventions more or less effective in terms of changing dietary intake or altering weight, lab values, et cetera. And based on the available research, there's inadequate evidence to support routine incorporation of genetic testing at this time. But as I mentioned, there was a lot of variability in outcomes. So we need to further research which patients or which individuals are really most motivated by genetic disclosure to change 
their behaviors. We also need more information on which gene variants or combination of gene variants are most influential in motivating changes to dietary intake behavior. Also, does this vary by ethnicity was a big question that we had as a group. Once we identify those genes, what then are those evidence-based targeted dietary recommendations which should accompany each given gene variant so that we can be consistent across different clinical settings? And did the work group's findings reveal any other opportunities? Sure. In reviewing the literature, it was interesting to learn that much of the population, so the general population that was surveyed, anywhere from 56 to 93% regard dietitians as the most reliable source of information for personalized nutrition. And 88% actually stated that they would share their results with a registered dietitian for interpretation. So as a profession, I do believe it's important that we receive or pursue additional training on personalized nutrition. And this could not only be genetics, but also the influences of other factors, such as epigenetics, the metabolome, or the microbiome. And as was mentioned in the publication, this will allow dietitians to remain at the forefront of precision nutrition expertise to accurately address the growing consumer interest in direct-to-consumer and clinical genetic testing, and finally, to communicate appropriate expectations to our patients who have pursued those genetic tests. Well, it sounds really promising. And before we sign off, I wanted to ask if you have any closing comments you'd like to share. Yes, I certainly want to thank the rest of the work group members I had the opportunity to work with, the project leaders, and the evidence analysts who helped to make the systematic review possible. This is great. Dr. Robinson, thank you so much for your time today. This was fabulous information, and you are welcome on our podcast anytime. I hope you'll come back. Yes, thank you so much for having me today. It was great to speak with you. And for our listeners, thanks for joining us today. Be sure to visit anhi.org for more nutrition science education and resources, including more podcasts, which you can find on anhi.org under resources in the podcast and video section, or by clicking the community link on the anhi.org homepage to find podcasts there as well. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.